Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. more peaceful since the revolution. It is a shame that your people suffered. But bounty hunting is a complicated profession. Welcome to the first episode, a preview episode of Still Watching The Mandalorian. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Anthony Bresnikan, another writer at Vanity Fair. Oh, yes. We have given Richard the end of the year off. Richard <laughs> is relaxing because Anthony and I are going to a galaxy far, far away to talk all things Star Wars. Anthony, uh, if you don't know him already, I'm sure you do. But Anthony is a longtime uh, expert in in all things Star Wars. We're so lucky to have him uh, on staff at Vanity Fair, and I like couldn't help but greedily snap him up to do this, uh, <laughs> this Mandalorian podcast with me. Anthony, welcome. To Still well, I, I can't. I'm just thrilled to be here, and I uh, I'm so happy to. I can't think of a better friend to talk about Star Wars with than you. I think we're the Han and uh, Lando of uh, of Star Wars journalism. Oh, <laughs> and, I love it. <laughs> But maybe less, maybe less animosity. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, depending on when you catch us on the franchise. Um, so, <laughs> we, um, what's what is true though is that oftentimes in this show and in general, in my podcasts, um, I am, you know, quote unquote, the expert, and the person I'm talking to knows less. The roles are definitely reversed here. Anthony knows way more about Star Wars than I do, and I am very excited and lucky to sort of suck all the info out of your head, Anthony, and help me understand this upcoming show, The Mandalorian on Disney Plus. So thank you for doing oh, this. Well, my pleasure. But you know, I've been I've only been training for this since I was uh, four years old. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so we uh if you if you have questions or comments for us, um you can email us stillwatchingpod at gmail dot com. Uh we will be recording a new episode of this podcast every week as a new episode of The Mandalorian drops. In the first week there are two episodes, so you'll get two new podcast episodes from us, and then after that we'll be going week to week. We are also lucky enough to have a few of the folks who worked on the show chat with us for this podcast. So you'll hear a few of their voices in this little preview app we're gonna do, and then you'll hear some full interviews for them in later episodes. So, and, yeah. and we're not giving anything away at this point because no. uh, the show hasn't started airing yet. This is our, this is just a little bit of a, a preview, I suppose you'd say. 
Exactly. We just want to let you know what's coming if if you haven't been obsessively reading the news like we have about every single morsel of info. <laughs> but there are no spoilers. This is not like, a spoiler podcast. It's like all. a it's like a force vision. Uh, I'm not sure Ooh. how much the force has to do with this particular series since it's about people who are not Jedi uh, or Sith. Right. But but we're giving you just a little like a like a little ray vision of what's to come. Oh, I love it. And like huh? the camera will tilt. Ewan McGregor will be there. It'll be great. Yeah. Um, so we're going <laughs> to, <laughs> we're going to start with where the Mandalorian takes place. Uh, and the truth is, uh, a number of locations. Anthony, where, where's the Mandalorian set? You mean physically where or like at what point in the chronology? Well, we can do a slash where, where slash when. Where slash when does this, does the Mandalorian take place? Well, we haven't gotten a ton of information about locations, have we? Unless I. It just something. seems like it's a planet hopping series. Yeah, they're moving all around because right. you see, you know, as we know in Star Wars, planets all only have one climate. Correct. And so, uh, yes. so there's like a kind of like a, uh, what looks like a forest world. And, uh, and then there's also, uh, I mean, look, what looks like to be sort of like a very Tatooine like desert or Jakku like desert world. Um, we're seeing, uh, old west style towns like Moss Eisley, although it's not necessarily Moss Eisley. People are asking, is this set on Tatooine? But there's just kind of a desperate, uh, you know, outback feel to some of the, some of the like communities that we've seen in the footage so far. But we haven't really gotten a ton of planet names. Right. We do know that it's set, uh, in the, where it's set in the timeline though. Yes. Do you want to talk about that? I do this. So this takes place after the original trilogy. And, um, and so something that we've talked about, you and I, Anthony, is that this is a story, uh, a post-war story or a between-war story. So this is uh, what happens between the fall of the Empire and the rise of the First Order and what what happened. Like, we thought, okay, the, the good guys win, live happily ever after. When we get to The Force Awakens, the First Order has taken control of the galaxy. So what happens in this sort of interstitial period of, of time? And, and when you have maybe some lawlessness uh, going on in, in the galaxy. Yeah, I think it, uh, you know, if you look at a lot of the classic Western films, they're set in the aftermath of the Civil War. Like, they're not in the South or, uh, you know, at that border area between the South and the North. They're set out West, you know, in the, in the mountains and the Rockies and right. the deserts, uh, because that's where a lot of soldiers went, you know, to settle or where the expansion really began to happen. So you see movies like uh, The Outlaw Josie Wales. Like he was a, he, that was a, that was like a, an aftermath of the civil war story. Like the villains were, I think they were union soldiers and he was, uh, <laughs> right. he was an old Confederate, like who, uh, who, who had a, a score to settle. And, um, uh, there's just a ton of stories, uh, old West stories like that. But I also think of the third man, you know, set in post-war Germany and, uh, amid the ruins and wreckage of this uh, catastrophic battle that happened and, uh, that's a story also about lawlessness, con men, grifters, uh, you know, for, former spies and people who are trying to make a go of it now that, that, you know, what's that they say? All's fair in love and war, but after war, you know, suddenly things aren't, aren't so fair anymore. Or you, can, you can't do things during that time that you could under like normal government, under normal like societal rules. Right. So right. I think that's where we're set. We're set at a time where the rules have been shattered. The empire has fallen. 
the Ewoks have done their celebratory dance. And, uh, <laughs> to Yub Nub uh, or whatever the case may to, be in to, your later editions of The Return to, of the Jedi. To, to Yub Nub. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're seeing uh, little uh, uh, space monkeys like Salacious Crumb being roasted for food. So it's like a desperate time in the galaxy. <laughs> Um, I love this. This feels very Vanity Fair to me for you to reference the third man, the uh, Joseph Cotton Orson Welles uh, film from 1949. It's a noir. It's a great film if you guys haven't seen it. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about some more filmic influences a little later on, but um, I love that you referenced that. And and speaking of like lawlessness and what's what's available for characters in that time, in that era of lawlessness, uh, we have series star Carl Weathers with uh, a little insight into that. These people straddle a line, if you will, you know, uh, there's a lot about them that's really admirable. And then there's that side of them that's truly selfish or it seems to be leaning toward the devil, you know, and, and what you find out, though, they themselves wind up being tested. And the question is, which, you know, when they're tested, which direction are they going to lean to and lean into? And we are fortunate, I think, because of how smart Favreau and Filoni are and how much they know about this universe and how much they know about really writing and creating that they drew characters and put those characters in situations where the characters really had choices to make. And the characters seem to keep making the choices that we want our heroes to make. You know, regardless of where they may start off, we wind up falling in love with them because their moral compass points them in the quote unquote right direction. You know, now, will they maintain that? That's eh, a whole nother thing. We'll see. So, Carl is talking about the. Um Carl, who plays the great, uh, well, um, just the great character named Grief Karga, right, mm-hmm. uh, is the name of his character. And uh, he's talking about one of my favorite kinds of Star Wars characters, which are the not the Jedi on the light and not the Sith on the dark, but like the bounty hunters and the rogues and like everyone in between. Um, Anthony, do you like what is your relationship to these in between type characters that have existed throughout the franchise? Well, they're the best, right? Because they're like the undecided voters. Those are the yeah. people who can be swayed, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, it's sort of like that's the you, you have good and bad on either side and they're not going to be swayed or broken or or diverted from that path necessarily but it's the characters that really walk the line that um that's where the tension is right on that line and i i think uh grief karga is interesting because carl weathers is uh, an actor who he has such authority right he has such integrity you think of like apollo creed uh or one of my favorites action jackson like he's (laughs) he's he's cool yeah he's suave he's also you know uh he's tough and you would not want to be on his bad side and what i think is cool about grief karga is he's he's uh i guess what they call like the leader of a bounty hunters guild so in a way a little bit like a mob boss a little like a union boss in a way but also uh working with people who are um just on the fringe of the law you know who are who 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 might very well have a bounty on them except they are the ones hunting the bounty <laughs> and um uh he he's he's feeding them right so he's keeping them going with with little uh 
little claims, you know, wanted, dead or alive. Go get this alien. Go get this human. Go get this creature. And um, I, I, I love the idea that uh, he's we're sort of on his side. He's a good guy because we're on the side of the Mandalorian. But are we? Are we the baddies? You know, I don't know. Right. He's <laughs> he's uh, we're he's definitely one of the protagonists friends but he uh but he's um i don't know necessarily that we can we can trust him he reminds me a little bit of uh so here's a very classic reference like magnum pi and, sure. and, jo- yeah, and yeah. john who was the character that john hillerman played i don't know his like his like butler right his body man or something like that like um he was sort of his butler but also like just sort of his his guide, right? Like his okay. Alfred, his Alfred. Oh, we'll put it that way. This is, yeah. I think he seems to be sort of like, uh, uh, Alfred to the Mandalorian's Batman. But you can't trust him. Like, maybe, who maybe. knows? We'll see. He's definitely, what I love about the footage we've seen is he's definitely playing the Mandalorian where he's like, I have this, I have these, uh, these bounties you can get. And the Mandalorian's like, ah, that's not even worth the fuel. And then he's like, well, I have this other thing, but oh, 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 you wouldn't want that. You know, <laughs> you, wouldn't, wow. you wouldn't necessarily be able to handle this one. And the Mandalorian is like, you know, baited into taking it essentially because he's challenging his ability. Uh, I think that's a very cool little dynamic between them. Anthony, I didn't know when I got to do this podcast with you that I would get to hear your Carl Weathers impersonation. Well, when <laughs> we, we sat and talked to him and like his, he was doing these voices. You'll hear when you hear our full interview, like where he developed the voice of grief Karga. And it's just like a, a variation on Carl Weathers' actual voice, but uh, he was a blast to talk to. He really was. Um, so let's set the stage really quickly before we get into like the who of everything. But the, the plot of the Mandalorian, as we understand it, once again, no spoilers, just the basic, well, I'll say the premise of the Mandalorian is fairly straightforward, as I understand it, which is Pedro Pascal of Game of Thrones and Narcos fame plays the titular Mandalorian, which is the name of someone from the planet of Mandalore, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he doesn't have a name other than that. And he is given a mission by Carl Weathers' Grief Karga. And then he goes on that mission, and that mission takes him, uh, we presume, hopping planets and meeting people along the way. Very like, like, I've got a mission, I'm on it, here we go, and here are all the interesting corners of the planet and the people that occupy it that I meet yeah. along the way. Is that it, your understanding as well? Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a very old reference, I think, most people uh even from our generation wouldn't know it, but like have gun will travel the old Western series. Like this is like half blaster will travel. <laughs> I love that. Um, so let's talk about some of the people involved in this. Um, the two main creative name, you know, forces that come up uh, when people talk about the show are John Favreau and Dave Filoni. Um, and I know you've talked to both of them specifically for this piece that you're doing on Dave Filoni. Why are star Wars fans so excited that, that this is a Dave, a John Favreau and Dave Filoni series. Well, John Favreau, I think is, uh, I mean, he's just beloved for, he launched the Marvel cinematic universe as, as you well know. And, uh, with Iron Man in, in 2008 and, uh, he, he was he, it, almost like if you think of the Marvel cinematic universe as a series, it's like how they bring in a big director to sort of set the tone for a new show, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, like Martin Scorsese directing, uh, the first episode of Boardwalk Empire. <laughs> and so, uh, Favreau really set the tone for Marvel and remained influential there, even as he moved on to do movies like The Jungle Book 
and The Lion King. Uh, just a really innovative director. He works well with story and with technology, and not everybody can do that. So the idea of him telling a Star Wars story is really exciting. Taking something that people have a deep emotional connection to and crafting a new tale around. And then he brought in Dave Filoni, who was buds with him because when Favreau was mixing sound on Iron Man up at Skywalker Sound in, um, in the, in the late 2000s, Filoni was working on the Clone Wars series, which, uh, really connected with a whole new generation of young fans. And he cast, uh, he cast Favreau as, as a Mandalorian character in that show. So you can see where their mutual love of these characters came about. Um, it's kind of like two, two buddies. I mean, they, they remind me of like my best pal, Joey Mitchell, when we would, you know, play Star Wars in the backyard with our action figures. <laughs> like, you know, uh, they each bring their own little thing to the collection. And, um, it's clear that they, they, they benefit from bouncing off of each other. Even though, uh, Favreau is the creator of the series, uh, Filoni directs in his first live action directorial debut, the, uh, the, the, the pilot episode and then like the midway episode in the series. So they're really getting a lot off, off of each other, off of the, inspiring each other creatively. And, uh, and yeah, I did a profile of Filoni, uh, as my first print story in Vanity Fair. Uh, I just thought it was cool that this is the guy who worked with George Lucas on his last Star Wars stories, the right. Clone Wars series. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we call him the Sorcerer's Apprentice. He, he really picked up a lot from George, uh, about what makes Star Wars tick and he brings his own fan passion to it you know that that little kid making up his own stories or her own stories in the backyard with their uh with their action figures um he brings that to the mix too so i think the two of them are a really potent combination yeah i think for for people who are listening who aren't you know deep into the star wars lore but want to hop on for the mandalorian i don't think there's going to be a huge barrier of entry but something you should know is that there is this, uh, the Clone Wars and Rebels, which are these animated, um, Star Wars series that were so hugely popular that ran from 2008 to 2018. Uh, the Clone Wars is coming back, uh, in 2020, uh, for a season. Um, these are huge things to a generation of Star Wars fans. And Dave Filoni is sort of the godfather of those, of those series. And Dave Filoni, as you say, Sorcerer's Apprentice, I'm going to throw in Padawan. Like, you know, the, the guy, <laughs> the guy who trained under George Lucas and, and got a lot of the info from him. Uh, if you saw that viral Freddie Prince Jr. rant about like what Star Wars is, uh, which I did and deeply enjoyed, um, something someone at Lucasfilm said to me recently is he's like, yeah, well, but he got all of that from Dave Filoni. And I was like, yeah. And I think Freddie Prince Jr. cited his source in that rant, which was Dave Filoni, who got it from George Lucas. So like this, this feels like and we're going to talk about this a little later on uh, in this little preview, but like when you talk about blending the old and the new, Filoni is this like um, keeper of the lore or keeper of what Star Wars originally meant to George Lucas and bringing that into the Mandalorian and what Favreau, how Favreau wants to move this series forward in the universe. Um, I think that's what's such a, a potent and exciting combination for people. You know? Yeah, I think so too. And, and they're, uh, they're bringing us something that looks familiar. The Mandalorian looks like Boba Fett. We're told he's not Boba Fett. Boba Fett, by all counts, died in Return of the Jedi. Um, we're getting a droid named IG-11, voiced by Taika Waititi, who looks like IG-88, a bounty hunter droid from Empire Strikes Back, but not the same. 
there are lots of things in this show that look like, feel like, uh, pieces of Star Wars of yesteryear, but they're new. And I think that's an interesting way to, um, to give people something fresh, but also strike that nostalgia chord, which is, which is really powerful in people. And, and it's, it's a risk. I, I, I hope it works, but it could also be like, getting uh you know like a bootleg star wars toy when you're a kid <laughs> and uh oh like this isn't you're like where's like, the jetpack like, um who, who's who's boda fret like you know like <laughs> some sort of like off-brand knockoff korean star wars toy that like was sold uh you know in north korea because they couldn't get the rights <laughs> you don't want something um that doesn't feel like star wars but i i have my fingers crossed that they're gonna pull it off I mean, I'm, I'm really optimistic about it. Um, here is, uh, series star Pedro Pascal on that blend of nostalgia and new in Star Wars, The Mandalorian. I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. We're culture writers, podcasters, and hosts of the show Love to See It. Every week, we give an unapologetically feminist dissection of reality dating shows, rom-coms, and other romance narratives. We unpack all the weird messages they send us about love, sex, and dating. And we dive into all the details with special guests like actors, authors, and cultural critics. You can find Love to See It wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Tuesday. They're writing such a fine line between both, between the old and the new. And those, those are our kind of like selling points, you know, in our, and, you know, in our paper of talking points, you know what I mean? Talk about the old and the new. And it, it, it's easy to do that because it's really what they're doing. Sometimes I wish some of it was a little more new, to be honest with you, because it is so physically challenging to capture that, that level of quality. So if you want to be like A plus Mandalorian students uh, and do your homework, uh, you've got a couple. Oh, we've we've mentioned a couple uh, Bresnikan assignments already. Number one, his profile of Dave Filoni, which you can find <laughs> on vf.com or uh, at newsstands soon. Um, or you next week he will have a piece on this idea of the blend of the new and the nostalgia and the Mandalorian with some great interviews. So you can look for that on VF.com next week. Um, that's your homework assignment from me and Anthony Breskin. Um, all right. So let's run. But down fun one. homework, fun yeah, homework. Fun. It's, uh, you know, <laughs> it's I mean, not that bad. It's like people, a, when you get a homework to color a picture, hopefully it'll be entertaining. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I never consider homework bad when it comes to a TV show. I feel like people who listen to podcasts about TV show, are like excited to do homework. So I meant it only in a good way. All right. So let's run down some of our characters here. As we mentioned, we've got Pedro Pascal as the Mandalorian, Gina Carano as Cara Dune, uh, a rebel shock trooper. And Anthony and I uh, talked to her about what it means to be a rebel shock trooper, which we thought was an interesting description. You can hear that in the full interview later this season. Um, Nick Nolte as, is it cool? How do we pronounce this name? Do you think? K-U-I-I-L. This is going to be the first of many Star Wars names Joanna Butchers on this podcast. Cool. I'm going to say Kuil. Kuil. Love it. But I don't know. We'll um, see how Nick Nolte we'll, pronounces it. I'm we'll sure it's... <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he's playing a, like, a pig-faced... It's, so it's a... 
Is it's an it, Ugnaught. Yes. Is it CG or is it a puppetry or do you know what we're doing with this character here? Looks looks to be like a puppetry mask yeah. on a person. And then yeah. Nick Nolte supplies the voice. Right. Not Nick Nolte's body, but someone else wearing a pig mask. That, I mean. that, looks, that looks like a pig mask version of Nick Nolte. Like it just yeah. looks so much like him. <laughs> it does. Um, and the Ugnaughts were creatures seen for the first time in Empire Strikes Back, like working in the back rooms of Cloud City. They're the ones who tear C-3PO apart. They're little droid shredders. They're just little, like, you know, almost like worker trolls. I love it. Worker trolls. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito of um, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, and other things fame as Moff Gideon. Uh, mm-hmm. So he's uh, a former Empire. He was associated with the Empire. So what is he doing now that the Empire has fallen? We'll find out. Uh, Carl Weathers as Grief Karga, as we mentioned. Uh, Werner Herzog as the client. What a fun name for a character, the mm-hmm. client. I hope he never gets named. A client who wears the imperial sprocket around his neck mm. on a necklace. Like, interesting, right? He's what an surrounded- interesting choice to make, you know? What an interesting well, fashion choice to make. Clearly, like an, uh, that's like like one of these Nazis after the after the war, like who flees to South America, but still wears the insignia, you know, still sort of like wants to, wants to recreate the, the Fuhrer, like those, uh, he, he seems to have, uh, he seems to have like deep ties. He's still fighting the war. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, his, he's got a little entourage of really dirty, beaten up stormtroopers. <laughs> like, um, I keep referencing having toys in the backyard, but these stormtroopers look like the ones that are forgotten, over the winter (laughs) and then you discover them again in the spring but like crusted with dirt and maybe pecked by birds (laughs) (laughs) pecked by birds troopers um yeah my example was gonna be uh, whenever trump is not president whether that's soon or in uh, several years after that uh someone's still wearing like the maga hat right like that's what yeah uh, you know (laughs) not talking like, about Trump already, yeah. Sorry. And hiding out, hiding out in a basement, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but the maga hat's still firmly on the head. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, Taika Waititi, as you mentioned, as a as a droid IG eleven, uh, Bill Burr, which is interesting, a uh, Boston based comedian, Bill Burr, very famous comedian, uh, and an interesting choice for Star Wars. Do you have any Bill Burr thoughts or feelings? Uh, I mean, I think he's okay. I like some of his comedy, and some of it I find just kind of boring but um he uh he's the rare star wars actor who comes out and says um i don't really like star wars <laughs> oh, <did he> say- <laughs> yeah that he didn't really give a damn about it and um usually okay. you get people who are like oh i've loved this. this is my big chance like i love uh, i love the idea of joining the galaxy and he was just kind of like ah, yeah okay fine like he just seemed very maybe that's posturing and you know he's got to be too cool for school but uh, uh okay whatever <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So Bill Burr, we'll see. Um, we've seen glimpses of him in the trailer. Um, he seems to be associated with uh, Natalia Tena's character, uh, who's a, a Twi'lek bounty hunter. The Twi'leks, you will know they have the, what do we describe? How do we describe the uh, head aspect of a Twi'lek? <laughs> oh, they're like called he- head tails. Head tails. The double so the split, the double head tail sort of, you'll know them when you see them. Yeah. Twi'lek. So like, it's like what Ahsoka... Tano mm-hmm. is um, from the Clone Wars. You know, you just kind of have, you just kind of have, uh, like your head just instead of hair, you've got like two big tentacles. Yeah, 
But the, but but it sounds it's less gross than that. It's no, <laughs> yeah, no. They, I, that's one of my favorite character designs is the Twilight. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty excited. Uh, Julia Jones is Omera, who from the trailers. Once again, we're not spoiling anything. This is all trailer stuff. There's a scene in the trailer where she looks like she's gonna be taking the Mandalorian's helmet off, maybe for a smooch. I don't know. It looks very romantic to me. So like maybe someone that he knew once romantically, possibly. I, lo- I love that shot because it's like. Uh, taking his helmet off is like taking his armor off, taking, yeah. letting his guard down, revealing the guy within. We'll see. Taking the gunslinger's hat off. We'll see if that helmet actually comes off. We'll talk mm-hmm. about that in a second. Uh, and lastly, uh, Ming-Na Wen uh, playing Fennec Shand, uh, an assassin. And uh, you got to talk to yeah. uh, and reveal her character for VF.com. What can you tell us about her character? So Fennec Shand turns up midway through the series in the other episode directed by Dave Filoni. And she is a hit woman for the galactic underground. So she's been dispatched by crime lords to kill other people they, that they, who they want to see disappear. Uh, so not a good guy. You know what I mean? Like not, clearly not. She, she says she's in that gray area. You know, we talked about with Grief Karga. Uh, the area that all of these characters exist in. She looks out for herself, but kind of ruthless and, and, and definitely ice cold does not hold back. I, I would love to see her turn up as, um, so I, I don't know that this is how it's going to go, but I love the idea of her being kind of like Jonathan Banks's character, Mike from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, who were, were like, like clearly willing to do the dark thing, but also, uh, not willing to go too far. Not willing, like, I hope she has a code, but is also, uh, has a lot of leeway in what she's willing to do. Uh, I, I, I just love the idea that she's, uh, that she's on the darker side of things. Excellent. Um, so you can, you can, uh, read Anthony's interview with her and, um, I'm, I'm so excited. I love Ming-Na Wen. I'm a big fan and I'm so thrilled that she's in the show. So she's and- a real Disney princess, man. <laughs> <laughs> From uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to Mulan, like now in the Star Wars galaxy, she's conquering all fronts in the Disney world. It's true. Um, all right. So we're going to talk about a few other things and then we're going to sign off because, you know, we're just, we're just priming the pump for, for this Mandalorian, uh, thing. But, um, I do want to say, and, and once again, this is not a spoiler because this has been reported elsewhere. We haven't seen, or I haven't seen it. I don't, Anthony might be holding out on me, but there is a some sort of big surprise in the first episode. We're not going to mm. talk about what that is. I just want to like urge you guys, if you're planning to watch this show, I would recommend watching the first episode as soon as you physically can the day that it drops, right? Yeah. Um, because you just don't want to. I don't. I don't want you to get spoiled. <laughs> so the internet, I'm sure, whatever it is, I'm sure the internet's going to be talking about it. So why don't you just try to watch it yourself? Uh, and yeah. stay off Twitter. I don't know. And, so. and respect your fellow fans. Look, when something drops, it's time for people to talk about it. But keep in mind that not everybody's in the same time zone. And, you know, not everybody is, uh, is able to watch it at the same time. So I know, I know at Vanity Fair, we try to protect the spoilers as much as possible. So, you know, we just do. be cool. Be cool. Be cool, guys. All right. So let's talk about what I think is one of the biggest challenges of this series. So I'm a huge, uh, you know, Game of Thrones fan, Game of, covered Game of Thrones for years. When I found out Pedro Pascal was being cast in uh, this project, I got so excited because he is just like, when he showed up on Game of Thrones, 
as Oberon Martell just oozing charisma out of every pore. I was just like, I was in it. I was in it for Pedro Pascal. I love Pedro Pascal. And then I found out that he was wearing a mask and not taking the mask off as far as we know in this first season. And I went, why would you hide that light under a bushel? Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got a main character who is masked uh, as far as we know the whole series, unless uh, Julia Jones managed to get that mask off him. So like, um, here is actress Gina Carano on why she doesn't think that is going to be a big obstacle this season. You know, it's for me, I, I love it. Even like the language was so different in this, but once you, it makes you try that much harder to understand what's going on in the scene. So for me, I feel like it helped. Um, but like when I meet people and this is something that a lot of pe- close people told me, like I don't naturally see what um, somebody's physical appearance is. I, I instantly kind of feel who a person is. I don't I don't take what you, you heard about someone or their reputation or whatever front they're trying to put on. I really feel like I, I can see a person for who they really are. And so that wasn't hard for me at all. Um, I felt like with, uh, you know, Pedro being under the mask, like I could tell, I could tell with his energy and I could tell when he was upset. I could tell when he was smiling and he won't fuss up to that, but I'd be like, are you laughing right now? And he was cracking up or, you know, <laughs> or like you're smiling at me right now. And he, he would be completely like, you wouldn't be able to tell. And I'm like, I know you're, you're smiling at me. Right? And he would take it off. Like, How do you know that? <laughs> I'm like, I just know, like, I know what's going on over there. So I actually really loved working with um, people who were faceless. <laughs> Gina, it sounds like you're admitting to us that you have the force. Yeah. That you use the force. <laughs> no. <It's>, oh, okay, <laughs> that was not. Okay, that wasn't on purpose. That's a little super nice. Okay, so that's what Gina thinks. Anthony, what do you think? What do you think about a lead character who is masked the entire time? I think it's fine. As far as Star Wars goes, it might present challenges in any other kind of storytelling, Mm -hmm. but Star Wars deals in archetypes and archetypes go back to very ancient storytelling. And you think of Greek plays and the, you know, the happy and sad drama masks. Uh, That's a part of human tradition going way, way back. And Star Wars has always been able to work with that. We never saw Anthony Daniels' face as C-3PO. We never saw... David Prowse beneath the mask of Darth Vader, yet the combination of his physical performance and James Earl Jones's voice showed us who that character was. There have been countless characters in Star Wars whose face has never been revealed. They're always beneath a mask, and uh, it still strikes a nerve with fans. You think about all those actors who who turn up at at fan conventions. You know, I was this stormtrooper, I was that bounty hunter, uh, I was Greedo, and you never <laughs> you never <laughs> saw their face. Uh, and yet people still feel a deep connection with them. So I don't think it's going to be a problem. I think this, there's something about the mask that, especially the mask of the Mandalorian, that, that, um, that, that sort of T slit in the visor that almost acts as a squint. And you think Ooh. of Clint Eastwood, yeah. and uh, that's one of the inspirations that Favreau and Filoni and Pedro Pascal have directly pointed to, that Clint Eastwood, literally as the man with no name in Sergio Leone's uh, Spaghetti Western trilogy, you know, uh, A Fistful of Dollars for a Few Dollars More and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, that that's that you could say is Eastwood wearing a mask. You know the, Do you know the famous story about... Uh, 
uh, Eastwood describing his his face and expressions. No, tell me. So um, I hope I'm not bungling this, but uh, I don't know if it was Leone or another filmmaker who said, you know, can we, you always have the same expression, Clint. You know, you're always just sort of squinting and looking terse and, and, uh, and fed up. <laughs> is there, uh, is there, can you give me, can you give me a range of emotions? And he pointed at his face and he said, there's this face and there's this face with the hat. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like the Mandalorian is the same thing. He's just always looking at the world with these sort of narrowed eyes represented by the slit in his visor. Just this, this, just this, just this surly expression of, of total contempt for punks. And, uh, I think it's going to work fine. Oh, I love that. Always squinting. Um, (laughs) so, uh, this is, this is Pedro Pascal himself on, on what he was told, uh, would influence his character. The uh, the first thing that they told me to study were um, uh, Akira Kurosawa samurai films and um, and and then Sergio Leone's uh, spaghetti westerns and um, and and they very specifically built this character on those old iconic loan those loners and um, and so. It's been a really interesting improvisation in terms of like figuring out what his posture is, um, how he moves, how he walks, how he communicates, how he makes a point, and how the voice like exists under the mask. So as I mentioned, I I love homework personally, and I'm going to make a confession to you and everyone listening. Um, I've never seen any of those Clint Eastwood films. Uh, we were historically a non-Western household growing up. I've seen almost every other classic film there is, except the Western. So I'm going to do my homework, and I'm going to wa- I'm going to finally watch these very famous films that I've been avoiding <laughs> for years uh, in preparation for this. So I've got, I don't know, five days to pull it off. I think I can do it. Um, what else? Uh, Pedro mentioned Akira Kurosawa. I have watched several Kurosawa samurai movies. Um, what else, Anthony, would you recommend people boning up on if they want to get, like, be super prepared uh, to dive into the world of the Mandalorian? I would hit those, those uh, Sergio Leone westerns that you mentioned. It's been a while since I've seen them too, but they're, they're great, man. Stylistically, they're beautifully shot. They hold up really well. Um, th- there's a little bit of weirdness because, like, they would shoot without sound and then dub everything after the fact. Right. So, like, that's yeah. but that it adds a little bit of like a uh, it adds a strange vibe, like an unsettling vibe to the whole thing. But they're h- hilariously funny too. Like, they're not. I wouldn't say they're comedies, but the tension they create uh, it leads to laughter. Like, there's this great scene in A Fistful of Dollars where. Eastwood's walking along and he's got his mule and there are a bunch of like local toughs hanging out, local bad guys, like taunting <laughs> him and laughing at him. And he walks up and he's like, oh, you know, guys, I, I don't mind you laughing at me, but uh, but my mule is really sensitive here. <laughs> like, I think I think you hurt the mule's feelings. I think you should apologize to the mule. And like <laughs> they're looking at each other like, what the what is this guy talking about? Oh, yeah, it's OK. I don't I can take it. You know, he's like, I can take it. It's fine. You can tease me. But my mule, he don't like people laughing at him. And like <laughs> and, and he ratchets up the tension to the point where 
uh, people are going to die because unless somebody apologizes to this mule and it's, it's bizarre and it's really funny. And I think Pedro Pascal has that same playfulness and toughness that's going to bring the Mandalorian home. Like that's what's going to make it work is star Wars has to have a sense of humor on its face. It is so goofy. You know, you've got people running around through space with these helmets and, flying around with space apes and like, (laughs) you know, space wizards. Like it's all pretty goofy. So you need to be able to laugh. And I hope this show brings a little bit of a sense of humor to, uh, to the performance too. So I I would start with a fistful of dollars. Um, I, I mean, I felt lucky enough to get your Carl Weathers impersonation, but now I've gotten your Clint Eastwood impersonation as well. And I just like, can't wait to see what else we get here. Of course, this podcast. I'm a regular Bill Hader with the, uh, impression, the terrible impressions. Um, yeah. And then what about Star Wars wise? Is there anything, um, you know, in particular, should people watch the return of the Jedi to, uh, refresh on like what happens right before, uh, the series starts? Should they watch an episode or two of the clone wars? Like, what do you think, uh, people should watch? I would, I would go and look up the, um, the, the Mandalorian storyline on the clone wars. Um, mm-hmm. There's a uh, there's a whole story arc there, and you can find it online. Which episodes to watch? I think just three or four episodes that that shows what this warrior tribe is all about. You know what their culture was, why they uh, why why they're sort of scattered people. You know, they're they're in, it, it doesn't exactly correlate with anything in our own world. There's a little bit of like a samurai element to them. There's a little bit of an old west gunslinger vibe to them. They're bounty hunters. They, a lot of them specialize in bounty hunters. They love jetpacks. They're just like a cool... You could almost have started Star Wars just by focusing on the Mandalorians as this interesting subset. Um, but I would look that up if you really want to take a deep dive. But I also think it's not going to affect your experience if you don't know. Yeah, so the Mandalore arc on the Clone Wars starts in season two with the episode The Mandalore Plot, mm-hmm. uh, Voyage of Temptation, Duchess of Mandalore, and then in season three, I think it's that's when it slips over to season three, Corruption in the Academy. So uh, I think if you just watch those three in season two of Clone Wars, you you would be uh, where you need to be. But yeah, it's 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 useful because I think people people are still thinking. Oh, this guy is just going to be Boba Fett. Which, like, listen, maybe he will, but they've said no so many times and so emphatically that I just don't think he is. Like, there's, I just, you know, sometimes, sometimes creatives, uh, creators will, uh, you know, fib a little about their project because they want you to be surprised. They want you to go like, oh my god, Benedict Cumberbatch is gone. I didn't see it coming. Yeah. Um, but, that worked great, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but I think, well, that's a good example because I think creators are, have learned, like, if you if you lie too much and too hard for too long, fans will just resent you. And so at this point, I think they've said it's not Boba Fett enough times. So I'm just like, no, there's no way it is because, you know, not just for Sarlacc reasons, but just like, I, you know, there's no way this guy is Boba Fett. <laughs> but it might be helpful to get some Mandalore background Um and so that that little Clone Wars arc might be fun for you to watch. The the reason I believe them when they say that is they've also said, look, Boba Fett wasn't a Mandalorian. He, he was wasn't. a clone. He was a clone. His dad was a Mandalorian. Uh, and so he just sort of wore the armor as a tribute to his heritage. But um, that this guy's an actual Mandalorian and that they had a different way of operating. Like I said, they were almost uh, 
I would love to come up with some sort of correlation uh, in our own world, but they're so unique. They're they're just like almost uh, okay. This is going to be an insane comparison, <laughs> but they're almost like they're almost like the Amish in a way. Oh, okay. you know that they live within you know these other denizens of the galaxy, but they have their own look. They have their own ways. They have their own traditions. Uh, you know those tra- traditions aren't rejecting. Uh, modern technology and things like that, but they they just exist almost as a separate culture within uh, the the lar- larger modern culture, and uh, uh, kind of fascinating way to uh, choose your main character. Um, as for connections to the main franchise, um, it's possible we don't know this for sure, but the timing of this show and the Rise of Skywalker. Uh, where there's, we're going to get the penultimate episode of The Mandalorian, then we're going to get The Rise of Skywalker, and then we're going to get the finale of The Mandalorian. I wonder, and I don't know, but I wonder if it's related somehow uh, to Rise. Whether so, they intersect or yeah. preview or serve as a prologue to or right. ap- epilogue to, yeah. Somehow uh, hooked in. We don't know, but that's my suspicion, just based on timing. Um, it, it could be completely unrelated. I know that they want to sort of make their own thing. And, you know, and something that, you know, you and I have discussed and, and a lot of people are interested by in, in the current state of Star Wars is after Rise, that's it for Star Wars films for a while and like a long while now that Weiss and Benioff are out, right? There's just no Star Wars film that we're aware of in production at all. And so that means mm-hmm. that the future of the franchise is on Disney Plus with this show, the Cassian Ander show, the the um, the Obi Wan Obi Wan series. Yeah. yeah. So like that's where and and by all reports that is internally what Disney and Lucasfilm is is focusing on is Disney Plus. So um, you know this you know they're really invested in this universe. I mean, as you said earlier, this is a gamble for them, right? There aren't. Jedi, as far as we know, we haven't seen any Jedi. There aren't um, Skywalkers or Solos or any, you know, any other legacy characters that we're aware of. This isn't even like Rogue One had like Vader in it. You know what I mean? This is even isn't even as like connected as Rogue One, as far as we know. Now it might wind up being there. Might be some unknown factor that we we will be surprised by. But this is an interesting gamble to see. Will you guys just come along for the ride of the universe without such a hard tie to this core mythology? Um, and that, cause that's what they want, right? They want us in for the, the Star Wars anything and they want to be able to expand it so they don't have to keep circling back to Anakin, bless him. Like, you know, let's leave the Anakin, uh, <laughs> nine movie arc and like move on from there you know it's hard because stories are the characters really they're not the setting and it's it's proven to be a little bit difficult for star wars to expand beyond those core characters right but they're doing it and i think that's very important like to find a way to make the setting compelling but make people still want to visit that world it's it's what harry potter is doing too you know it's called it's like the universe of harry potter but can you tell stories uh, that connect with people as deeply as the Harry Potter ones, uh, you know, with Fantastic Beasts or things like that. And I think it's a real test of these, of the world building, but whether the world can sustain and inspire fans to come in for other characters. Right. And that's, and that's what Thrones is grappling with right now, too, is they're trying to figure out how do we take this, you know, what we had was the biggest show in the world. How do we HBO 
turn that into another enormous show um do we need to have oh let's make it about targaryens <laughs> like I, I get i get that impulse they're like oh people really like the dragons let's do that it's not as simple as that but that's part of it like give you something really identifiable to latch onto. but what you know once again you've got this great piece going up next week about how the mandalorian really skates that line between familiar things familiar droids familiar critters mm-hmm. um familiar uh you know desert planets um but it's all new as well. So it's really, it's really exciting. I'm really excited that we're doing this podcast, Anthony. So thank you. Well, this for, has been a fun preview. <laughs> thank you for <laughs> previewing it. Hopefully everyone is really excited for what we have coming. More Anthony Bresnikan impersonations. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my, what is it? Kawaki and space monkey. Or uh, I can uh, do a little salacious crumb giggle too. Oh. I'll, I'll be working on that one. I'm workshopping it. <laughs> all I have is uh, all I have is a Wookiee impression. I'll I'll see if I have anything else that I can do. All right. Um, all right, we'll be back for the first episode of The Mandalorian on Tuesday, November twelfth. Um, until then, Anthony, where can people find you and your work? Well, they can find me typing away on vanityfair.com and on Twitter at Bresnikan. Uh, you can find me at Joe Wrote This, also on Vanity Fair. You can hear me talking about award season on the Little Gold Men podcast, and we will see you on Tuesday. <laughs> Thank you.